Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 13, The Night Before, from 1988. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have Eric Anderson, back from his Moonstruck episode of Cage Club. Hello, Eric. Hello, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, great to be back. Glad to have you back. I don't know if it's because of the crazy 80s DVD art, or maybe it's my brain connections to the Seth Rogen movie that came out last year, but I was expecting this movie to be like a comedy, and it's not really a comedy for most of the movie, I don't think. Like, it maybe sort of tries to be. Um, Eric, had you seen this before you, you signed up to do it? Uh, I have not. I was checking it out and saw it was around the same time as Bill and Ted, so I was kind of yep. hoping for a little more... Keanu 80s goofy comedy. I felt the same way. It was uh, pretty stark and dramatic at the beginning. <laughs> Mike, had you seen this before or no? I saw this a long time ago, actually. Around the time Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was in theaters, this started running on HBO. And okay. when I was small, I would watch parts of it because I knew Keanu from Bill and Ted, but I couldn't really understand or follow the film. Yeah, it's a very uneven film going on here. And you're right, there's very dark moments and very light moments, but it uh, doesn't successfully keep up any of that tone. So the DVD art, at least the one that I have, it's from The Lost Collection, which is the best movies you totally forgot about. And Lori Loughlin, even though it doesn't really look like Lori Loughlin, is like sitting on top of the bedpost and Keanu sort of like chained in it. Because it says at the bottom, you lost your father's car, you sold your prom date, and the guy called Tito wants you dead. So it seems like it's be like this wacky sort of caper kind of between the two of them. And no, it's just, it's sort of a prank gone wrong, and then he accidentally sells Lori Loughlin to a pimp and has to go track her down. Like, if you just described what this movie was, it would be, like, super dark and depressing, I think. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on with this movie, because it's, like, all told in flashbacks. Like, he wakes up with no memory. He's piecing together the night before to figure out exactly what happened. It's not really the night before. It's the night of, as we learn to find out. It's all sort of happening over one night. But yeah, from time to time, I ended up having a lot of fun with this movie, just with its ridiculousness and how crazy it gets. I don't know that I particularly like this movie. I don't know that I particularly enjoyed it. Keanu, when he's not like super stressing about trying to like fix the problems of the night after he drinks the, the, the beer laced with drugs or whatever, like when he's having fun or, you know, toward the end when he's sort of like going into like manic mode, it's a lot more enjoyable. I'm just sort of enjoying it for his role. Like, it's sort of like a dark, gritty 80s movie that sort of morphs into a comedy and does it in kind of like an awkward sort of way. Yeah, I felt the same way at first. I was, yeah, I was waiting for the comedy to come in and the lighter moments once, you know, you're not anxiety ridden. It did a pretty good job of, you know, showing a light comedy, but then you're just kind of like brought back to this impossible, terrible situation where like all of the humor that might have built up in the last scene is instantly lost when you realize, you know, it's gone terrible. Yeah, I can see the premise being good on paper. You know, like a guy goes out with his prom date and loses her and has to find her over the night, piece together the what happened over the night. But when, you know, that includes the guy being drugged and selling his prom date as a prostitute and then, you know, tracking her down and there's like human trafficking and all that, like it just gets way <laughs> too out of control and way too adult for its audience because I really feel like this is trying to target that Valley Girl type crowd, you know, just as like a date film, something you might see prom night weekend. All it really ends up being is a showcase for Keanu. We have, for the second time in our last, you know, five or six movies, Lori Loughlin back, and she's sort of, like, we, we see that she's kind of in a relationship with Keanu, except then we, we, we learn via flashback that she's apparently, like, addicted to gambling, you know, in, so, in some way, and, you know, made a bet with her friend that whoever lost the bet, based on, I think, the high school football team or something, whoever yeah. won, one of them had to take a geek to prom and be seen with a geek, and, you know... Again, sort of like we talked about on Zack Attack, you know, so I don't know if somebody who looks like Keanu is apparently like a geek in this high school. I just, I don't necessarily understand that. But, you know, he shows up to their house and like her friends are giggling at him and he goes inside and she's like, you don't understand like what's going on. And like whether you're talking about like the beginning of the night in terms of that or the beginning of the movie when he wakes up 
sort of dirty in an alley. You know, no matter what starting point you think of, like, it's just sort of like a depressing, bleak beginning point for Keanu, either in the present or the past. Yeah, he seems to be stuck in one of those she's all that type situations, but it's a he's all that. Someone <laughs> lost a bet and has to take him to prom, but instead of, you know, the girl and she's all that got really pissed at the guy, he just kind of is accepting of the situation, <laughs> you know, because like she's super popular and I guess he thinks like he can pull this off. I don't know what. He's he's got this superhuman confidence that maybe it's his it's that personality that people think he's a geek for you know it's not his looks it's his awkward social skills and just he's he's just different in that way yeah he seems completely unaware of the world around him like early on in the movie the first thing or one of the first things he tries to do is figure out where his car is he goes to get his car and there's just like some guy there he's like oh i got a universal key and like kiana basically lets him steal his dad's car why'd you lose the keys uh, I guess I must have. Oh, hey. I got a master key. Really? Will it work on my dad's car? Sure. It works great on all kinds of cars. Lots of pretty bitchin' stereo in there. It's not that good. Yeah? Uh, uh, yeah. Check it out, huh? <laughs> great! Thanks a lot. Oh. Like, how are you gonna start it, man? Hey, don't sweat it, man. It's cool. My name's Danny Boy. Winston. Winston? Well, that's a pretty weird name, dude. Great! You have saved my life. Really, thanks a lot. No problem. You know, as you're watching, I, I don't know if it's just... It's so obvious what's happening, and Keanu mm-hmm. just does not pick up on it. He's just sort of spacey and out of it. He's just sort of like a weirdo outsider. Yeah, and I love how the one reason that they give to him being a geek is that he's like what, the president of the Astronomers Club. <laughs> now, like, he was being a really sweet guy, too. He, he gets her like, what sounds like a nice gift, but ended up, you know, getting them into the problem in the first place. But like, yeah, he thinks that he can win her over by just being like a gentleman. I don't really understand what was wrong with the guy. <laughs> yeah, the dad didn't want any part of him either. He, I love the scene where the father brings him into his study and basically shows him this gun collection. And this is before he reveals himself to be a police officer, you know? So I'm like, okay, this is just a crazy father stereotype trying to protect his daughter from the prom date. But I, Keanu is just the least threatening person possible. And I mean, we see that basically throughout the movie too. It's like, that's part of his flaws that he's not confrontational at all. But in the end, it's that sort of sweet, non-confrontational manner that gets him the girl in the end, which is sort of a nice little lesson, but it just, they go so far, he's just such a weirdo, you know, he's, I guess the whole point, right, is to set up like how ill-equipped he is for the entire night. It's going to be him against the world, and he's got to basically become a detective, or like, he's got to do everything he can to get this girl back, otherwise the chief of police, her father, is going to bring down hell upon him. I like because the fact that he was police chief, he couldn't contact the police at all, which was just an impossible situation that he finds himself in. Yeah, I love how the comedic element of it is that the moment you should just break down and call the father is when you find out that she's about to be shipped overseas, sort of like the movie Taken, right? Like she's just going to be sold somewhere to a harem it's like well uh, in a in like a thriller you'd call the dad and you'd explain to him what happened and stuff but but this is a comedy so he's going to take this on his own and he kind of goes through a bit of a hero's journey throughout this film you know at some point he has to he goes from naive valley boy to taking charge and responsibility and using some of his smarts what he has to navigate the night and find the girl and get her back well he does call the dad at one point right like pretty early on and he like pretends that he's her friend lisa yeah. and like he's just so awkward the dad's just like you know what's going on and he's just like oh i'm like he says his name right like doesn't he say like in her voice he's like oh it's winston i mean it's lisa and he says like it's lisa in his voice mm-hmm. and he's just like oh never mind goodbye and like he just like hangs up he realized that things are not going well that he sort of needs the dad's help but he just he can't even get that done right and so he's sort of back on his own because he's afraid of the dad oh hi listen i tried calling tara but there was no answer uh i was wondering have you heard from her like after she got back from the prom what are you talking about who is this 
Winston. I mean, Lisa. I mean, Lisa. It's you, you son of a... I'll call back later. I actually like the dad thing because it comes back when he ends up selling the girl. She gets shuffled around to a bunch of different pimps, right? She gets resold over and over. No one really right. wants her because they find out her dad is a police officer. Then they're also after Keanu for that. So it's kind of interesting how that threads throughout the movie. I didn't find that big of a problem with the film as a whole. I think it could have definitely used a better rewrite to kind of like make everything uh, congeal better because uh, there were some scenes and definitely ups in the in the film that I did like. Um, and the concept was like, you know, how, you know, the fact that her dad was the police chief and that's why she was being passed around. Like, I, I liked where they went with the story, but it just it didn't feel put together nicely. A couple of rewrites probably could have turned this into a much more successful comedy. I think what's kind of weird about it is that, like, there's not really logic. And I guess that's sort of the point because it is ultimately a comedy. We don't really necessarily care that there's gaps in logic if, like, what we're seeing is funny. But, like, I don't know why they don't take a limo together to the prom. I don't know why they spend so much time at this bar. You know, it's just, like, there's all these, like, things that just, like, don't make sense if you think about it. It's sort of like if you're into the movie and if you're enjoying the movie, it doesn't really matter. Like, if the comedy is working for you, it doesn't matter why they're at this basically, you know, dive bar with all these sketchy characters it's funny but if it's if you're not on board it's just like well why are they there in the first place why are they hanging out like why are they drinking why are they not doing whatever they can to get back to prom just sort of like jumps in logic that you have to make if you want to stay on board with the movie i almost feel like there's too many flashbacks there needed to be maybe more mystery as to what happened the night before and he needed to piece stuff together longer in the present tense and get his memory back that way because they do spend a lot of time just dancing at the club and i mean it's cool and fun to see keanu dancing on drugs i guess to george clinton (laughs) playing and everything like that's that's a fun scene but it's not really central to the plot right i mean it's just right it's just there for fun so i would have liked to have seen more stuff in the present tense the thing about that too is there was a lot of nice callbacks in this movie then there could have been more you know when keanu gets his car stolen that guy comes back throughout the film yep Keanu keeps seeing him with his car driving around town and one of the waitresses at the club she comes back one or two times as well to give some exposition and to be a little helpful so just feels like they dropped the ball a little bit tried to get a little too fancy and complex with all this cutting back and forth stuff yeah I think that one waitress that Rhonda she's kind of she's kind of the best in this movie because in the flashback she just like makes out with Keanu like I'm not sure exactly what she thinks Keanu is but she like makes out with Keanu and she's like she's sort of like the wise older friend who's like telling him not to drink the drink. And then, you know, in, in the present, right, she's the one that he sees like a couple times. Like she's sort of all over the movie. And it's cool to see her. Like I agree with you, Mike. It's cool to see her, like they weave her back into the present well. It's just I think you're right. I think you pointed out the, the best thing that there's there's sort of too much in the past or like the way that they lay it out is sort of I mean, I guess it's sort of as he's remembering more, right? But it just it, it seems like a, a lot in the past and you know, not enough hunting in the present. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, the one thing I did like about uh, the flipping back and forth in the past and the present was they had some pretty creative uh, transitions where like he would walk into the bar at present tense. And then when we cut to the bar, he's walking in, it's with him and the girl. A lot of seamless past and present transitions, especially I think they happen in the bar mostly because that's where a lot of the action takes place. Uh, I thought it was pretty creative. They didn't do it all the time, but there was some good filmmaking elements, at least. At least they were trying. Yeah, I actually did get the sense early on with the flashbacks that they were trying something different to establish the sort of the mood or, or tone of the flashbacks are different than the stuff going on in the present tense. Because at least early on for me, I it felt like the flashbacks had sort of an echoey, dreamy effect to them in a way. Like the way they were shot just seemed a little surreal to me in a way. I feel like they were well done and well established, but just maybe a little a little too much. I guess that's sort of intentional, right? Like, as, you know, early on when he's first remembering the flashbacks are dreamy because he doesn't really remember a lot, right? But then as he remembers more, it becomes more like the present, I guess. I guess there's a reason to that, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good enough reason for me, is that he's getting more clear-headed and he's remembering everything better. And because they do get longer, it's as if he has longer stretches of what he can remember the flashbacks almost sort of bleed into the present like as he remembers like as he fully remembers the night and sort of realizes what exactly he did it sort of all just becomes one narrative and right in the center when uh he meets Rhonda again the bar when she kind of like fills him in with that last bit of info the fact that he did in fact sell her 
for fifteen hundred dollars. But he he only got fourteen hundred. He only got fourteen hundred. <laughs> that bargaining that, yeah, scene enough, is awesome. Yeah, both uh both timelines kind of come to a emergence right there. He does kind of have a different character trait once he realizes what he did, and he has to go on this uh, journey to get her back. And I guess that's sort of like the different character traits is what ultimately appeals to her, right? That he does like put his life on the line. I mean, he got her into this trouble, but I guess the types of people that she tends to hang out with, the people who only care about good looks, popularity, and credit cards, they're not going to put themselves on the line. And if they got her into trouble like this, you know, they would either call the dad or just sort of back out of it. But Keanu's like, I got to right my wrong. You know, I got her into this mess. I got to get her out of it. And that's sort of what appeals to her, I think. Yeah, yeah. He starts off as this uh, this goober. And uh, <laughs> in that scene when, when Rhonda's like, you got to hit the streets if you want to find her. And he's like, I don't know what to do. When he finally buckles down and realizes, you know, he needs to walk the streets and that he's in that truck with that guy, just like, you just see him talking to all the creeps and ne'er-do-wells that are all over the neighborhood, you know, trading in his uh, his outfit and possessions for like a street outfit. And then when he finally ends up at the end of the movie, he's a whole new person just because he changed the, his outfit. Yeah, I feel like the movie did a pretty good job of showing that they're out of their element pretty early on. He keeps complaining that they should stay on the freeway and he gets off to sort of make a U-turn, but his dashboard compass is broken. So they've been going the wrong way for a while and they kind of end up on the wrong side of the tracks. It just looks like a very dangerous situation for these young kids from the valley. Like they're definitely not where they're supposed to be. Because of that, really made me kind of believe Keanu's transition by the end of this film, that he's been basically roofied, conned into selling his prom day, and then left in the alley with amnesia. And he really had to pull himself together and come a long way and grow and change a lot to rescue his girlfriend. And I think the movie does a good job setting up the danger early. Well, as dangerous as it is early on, I do like his logic, where he's just like, you know, we're not in any danger here, because they say that 90% of all murders are committed by people you know. He's like, do you know anybody in this club? She says no. He's like, exactly. Like, we're safe here. And I like that that's sort of his logic. Like, oh, we're not going to get killed by these strangers who probably are all packing knives or guns or something because nobody knows us here, so nobody's going to want to kill us. But, like, that's sort of, like, his logic. And I just, I love that. I mean, she says that this is the most embarrassed she's ever been, but I'm not sure why she's embarrassed. I can see her, you know, sad that she's regretful that she's missing prom, right? But, like, there's nobody around that they know. There's nobody to be embarrassed in front of. You know what I mean? It's just, like, they both sort of grow as people. He's kind of this doofus, and she's just sort of this vain girl, and that after this night that neither of them wanted to live through, they both realize that their take on life is, it should be a little bit different than what it is, or whatever the lesson. I'm not sure exactly what the lesson they learn is. Yeah, my whole favorite part about how they demonstrated or showed the danger that they were in. You know, when they first pull into that part of town, it's seedy. There's a lot of violence. I mean, he gets like pickpocketed or tries to get, he gets mugged in like the first five minutes he's in the town. But I love all the, uh, the establishing shots that they show up till, till they kind of showed the danger that they're in is just so many scenes of black people dancing. And that yeah. <laughs> is supposed to be like, Oh my God, we're in the bad part of town. There's a bunch of dancing black people. It's like having fun. And like they get yeah, but... to, to the bar, which like, you know, you think is going to be this terribly seedy bar. And it's just a bunch of people having a good time dancing to like a great band. And yet it's this terrifying place. You know, from our perspective, I don't feel like it's threatening. You know, watching the movie, I'm going like, oh, you know, like this doesn't look that bad, but we're trying to see it or it's trying to be shown through the eyes of these two white privileged suburban kids. So I just thought it was funny showing what, they considered to be a dangerous situation, or at least Tara, the character, Lori Lachlan, because she's the one that just seems more freaked out. You know, we really shouldn't be here. We don't belong here. I agree Keanu is a little more oblivious. He is does seem to be a little more level-headed. Well, maybe that's not that. He just seems to be a little more <laughs> oblivious to the dangers at hand. And yeah, just is out, you know, trying to make the best of a bad situation. But I definitely feel like they're trying to say um, Lori Lachlan might be a little prejudiced and, you know, might be expressing those kinds of things right here. As Eric was describing, I was trying to think if the movie is racist or if the characters are just kind of racist. And I think it's just the characters. Like, I feel like... I mean, there probably is an argument that the movie might be racist, too. Who knows? But it feels like what they see as danger is, like, the stereotypical, like, what people think of, like, the city must be like. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they show, like, the black people dancing. They show just, like, a bunch of prostitutes just, like, hanging out on the side of the street. And then there's somebody who, like, literally comes up to the car, like, carjack or, like, to rob Keanu. 
everything is like so stereotypical in terms of what you envision dangerous inner city life is. It's just craziness, sort of. And maybe that's just because it's a comedy and you're sort of like supposed to think that's like this is crazy and over the top. But I think it's more interesting to look at it like, oh, this is like Lori Loughlin's like worst nightmare that these are all these terrible, terrible people. You know, she's never been more a fish out of water than she is right now. Yeah, it was immediately chaos when when they got into that part of town. I think every single person he meets pretty much uh, either threatens to beat him up or rob him. <laughs> yeah, he gets yeah. called Honky and Cracker in this movie, which I found kind of amusing. I don't know if it's just his, you know, his sort of dumb nature, his sort of simple nature, or whether it's the actual, like, you know, the drugs and the drink that, like, loosen him up. But he starts, like, you know, he kisses that one girl, and he starts, like, dancing, and he's trying to get, like, Lori Lachlan involved, and he's talking to these pimps, and he's trying to sell Lori Lachlan without really realizing what he's doing. And he sort of opens up, and I guess that's sort of, I think... You know, I think it was Eric who said that he, he's just sort of oblivious to what's around him, right? And, like, he doesn't really care. He's just out there having a good time. That once he realizes, oh, these people aren't so bad, you know, even that bartender that steals Lori Lachlan's credit card, you know, he's he's not really phased by that. Like, he's just like, oh, I just sort of know how to handle myself here and just sort of being the, the kind of dumb, pleasant simpleton I've always been. Yeah, I, the guy steals his credit card, and then it's just kind of like, all right, well, then uh, I'll have a drink. <laughs> Like, while I'm here. <laughs> Bartender, by the way, played by a young, tiny Zeus Little. Yeah. Um, right? Who would go on to be in a lot. But, uh, yeah, I knew him from that Hulk Hogan wrestling movie. And then I think he was recently in one of the Batman movies. Um, but I also love this little moment here where Keanu loosens up and George Clinton's funking out. And uh, even Lori Lachlan she gets a little smile on her face and she starts to lighten up a bit. And I actually kind of think like, okay, they're going to kind of have a good time here. You know, I only had seen this movie years and years ago, so I didn't remember any of these. I mean, who would, I, I couldn't have remembered him selling her into prostitution. Like there's no way that stuck into my head. So right. I was kind of going, well, is she going to just get kidnapped? Is what's going to go down? How's this, how's this going to happen? Because at this point I'm like, you know, she seems to be turning around a little bit and having some fun. Yeah, she's having some fun, and, like, the next time we see her, she's at the door, like, basically, like, pointing to the the watch that's not on her wrist, like, hey, let's, like, she points, like, out the door, like, let's go, like, we're done here, and that's when Keanu is sort of drunk at that table with the pimp with Rhonda, and he's negotiating for how much he's going to sell her for, because he's like, you see that girl over there, like, I need money, like, you know, she's willing to work, she works at the mall, and they, they negotiate, and this is, like, a great scene. But, like, what's great at the end is that he's, like, 1,500 what? He's, like, whoa, Bucks-O-Rama. It's just, like, <laughs> like it's just, like, such a key, like, nobody else I don't think could deliver that line. It's just, like, this terrific simpleton surfer bro. Just, like, Bucks-O-Rama. Just great. I love it. You tell Tito. 2,000. 1600 1500 It's a deal. All right. Got a deal. All right. <laughs> 1500 what? Whoa! Bucks Who is this guy? Monty Hall? Oh, I love high drunk. What's his name? Winston? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Winston. I loved him because he was essentially playing Ted. It was so nice to hear that voice again. I really like this scene. I mean, I'm having, I am actually having some fun with this movie. I'll admit it's not the greatest, like it's pretty cheap, but uh, this scene is done pretty well because they have to get this misunderstanding across. And then they also set up cue ball doing the pool stuff. I don't know. I just feel like there's a nice little vibe going on with this scene here. Like the entire movie isn't good like this, but there are these moments that shine that make you wish they're was another go on the script or another director or just like they took it with a different tone you know because it's just visually it's dark tonally it gets dark it deals with very seedy dangerous topics and if they had just lightened it up a little bit you know i could see them maybe remaking this nowadays and it actually being better if they just adjusted it a little bit i think what works best and why this only really works at all is because of keanu's commitment i don't think that necessarily the script gives him much to work with but he's just like so into this role and like he's just got lines like one of the lines that i wrote down i love is she's like if i start to act stupid let me know and like he's been acting stupid for like a really long time and like he's just you know so committed to being this 
fun-loving, oblivious guy that, you know, even when the script doesn't make sense or the the actions or the characters don't really follow any kind of logic, it's fun just to watch him do his thing. And I think that's really, like, what sort of saves the middle of this movie. And then as the movie picks up and as the movie itself gets better, then we're able to sort of coast on Keanu's commitment to the role and to the movie and sort of go into, like, the better territory. Yeah, I mean, even the, this stuff later on is, is great, too, when we leave the bar in the past and the present. And it's the moment where he um, he goes up to the guy on the street next to the toy store called Weeby Toys. Yeah. And he's, gonna, he's kind of asking this guy for some help, and he just doesn't realize that this guy and his buddies are robbing the toy store and Keanu gets kind of mixed up with that gang for a little while. Uh, it's just, it was just kind of fun. That little interaction with the guy on the street, Keanu trying to, to speak drive to this guy is just like a riot because like you say, Joey, like he's fully committed. He's behind this role. This, this guy feels like a real person, this character, you know, he's, he's filling them out here. And this scene is just nuts. Say, Hey bro, what it is. Uh, I was wondering if you could help me out. One dude to another? Get your hunky ass out of here. You bet, Jim. You bet. But, uh, first I gotta find my lady. My mean squeeze. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I was wondering if you might have seen her around. <sighs> okay. The cops are, like, totally after me. <sighs> Just be cool. Cool. Just be cool. Just act like nothing's going on. Oh, God. I'm so much into this. Put your hands over your head. Now. I confess. I did it. I took drugs and sold it to a pimp. Drop him, man. Or I'll splatter Mr. White Bread all over the street. Excuse me, officers? Is there some reason we're hesitating on this? He's basically just a, he's nothing more than a human shield here who's just like running his mouth. <laughs> and the and the one robber asks the other, like, where did he come from? And Keanu's just like, the valley. Like he's just like like that like not like why is he like why do you have him? But Keanu just answers like, Oh, I'm just from the valley. Like I'm just I just happen to be here in the city, so it's cool guys, right? Yeah, I, I really like the that scene as well. And he did learn a lesson from them as well. So it was, a, it, was, it was a great opportunity for him to meet some people. And where, yeah, their initial interaction was uh, ridiculous. But <laughs> after they get away and he hangs out with them for a bit and they give him a ride and basically just like he finds out that, oh, well, maybe they're not all bad people, even though they're robbers. Right. These people in this part of town couldn't be nice. <laughs> they're burglars with a heart of gold. <laughs> This is the moment where he's going to learn the, the hide-and-seek move with his car, right? This is the move that, yeah. that he gets away with at the end. Yeah, he learned, I love that, that he learns that little move here, and it come, even that comes back. So I thought that was a nice little touch. And these robbers also get him on the right path. They, get, they, they tell him to go to Gal Babies, right? That, that mm-hmm. hoe house, that's where Lori Lachlan most likely is. And, that's, and they basically just sort of drive him there, and then... He jumps out, or he gets kicked out, or he falls out. He, he mentions he... Tito when they, they kick him out of the car. Oh, right, right, right. Everybody's terrified of Tito. Like, that's the whole thing in this movie. That I feel like, you know, what's sort of weird, and maybe it's maybe it's sort of a point, like, maybe if we, like, looked this movie really deeply and really intellectually on terms of, in, like, a, you know, a racial level, everybody is, you know, comes off as, like, these seeming thugs, but maybe that's just the persona that they're projecting upon them, because all it takes to intimidate anyone in this movie is saying the word Tito. Hey, man. Can you, like, loan us a few bucks for bus fare? Uh, gee, sorry. I bought some information with my last $4.25. What the hell do you call this? Hey, honest, I didn't know that was in there. This is a rented outfit, Shut man. $1,400? Oh, I think I'm gonna kill you. Tito? See what? Tito. I mean, I, I, I thought... Is this Tito's money? It could be, I guess. Uh, you tell Tito we didn't take none of it, huh? Go ahead. Uh, count it. No, count it, count it. That's okay. I trust you. And everything's cool. And right, man? Cool? Huh? Yeah, sure. Or at the end of the movie, when Keanu finally comes face to face with Tito, 
it's him against what like 30 people and he pulls out a gun and everybody freaks out like you would sort of assume based on the way that these characters are portrayed or that they're you know the way that they look on screen that they're all packing knives or guns or whatever but the way that they react to Keanu pulling out that cigarette lighter gun is like none of them have any weapons they're all terrified at guns and I think maybe I mean I don't know if this movie is worth dissecting in terms of that deep of a level but maybe none of these people really are that bad it's just this is the projection of what we fear like urban fears you know what i mean yeah i I thought it was weird that no one had a gun right but (laughs) i i also can't imagine that these people could not be that bad when they are literally like selling people (laughs) like overseas and they're like it's the human trafficking was the one part about the movie that just i couldn't relax because I was worried the tower was going to be like raped at some point and that Keanu Reeves wasn't going to be able to get there in time. Yeah, the only thing I could say about these criminals is that, yes, they are bad people, but maybe they're just not as dangerous as all that. You know, like they, they're not packing. The guy even says gunplay and everyone just turns white. It was a very surprising moment. I did not think the gun was going to work twice in one night like when he gets up on stage and he's like hey everybody know tito and they're like yeah everybody knows tito you know he's like the mayor almost like i would have thought like he ran the city and like he's like a robin hood or something and it's because keanu basically says like yeah screw tito like tito's a jerk that's what gets him thrown out of the bar eventually you know it's not all this other stuff like they're putting up with him you know flaunting and dancing and dealing and you know whatever he wants to do but as soon as he you know disrespects their friend that's when he becomes their enemy hi how y'all doing tonight good all right listen uh you know you got a guy around here named tito all right tito all right but uh, hold it hold it hold it wait wait but hold it i gotta tell you something about tito the man is dumb and he sort of gets marked for that, too. He realizes, like, he's only got a certain amount of time to find his girlfriend because Tito's going to be waiting for him at sunrise, and they're going to have to have a showdown of some kind or another. What I think this movie does really, really effectively is it introduces Tito. Like, Tito's the first person that Keanu meets. This is sort of like a big ulti- the ultimate spoiler in the movie, but, you know, when Tito comes out of the car, they're like, oh, this is the guy from the beginning of the movie. And I think it works because just like he's just like this intimidating guy in an alley. I'm not sure why he's alone in an alley, yeah. but I like that he's sort of the ultimate bad guy. But, like, we just meet him early on. Like, along the way, he's got all these other mini-bosses he's got to take out or sort of work through and take care of Fat Jack before he gets to the end. Um, so I like that the introduction of the, the main villain way before we actually meet the main villain. Yeah, and it's a complete surprise because he's a pretty small dude. And the way that they talk about Tito, you imagine he's going to be this ginormous person. And this uh, this small guy, I don't know what makes him so intimidating. He, neither he nor his henchmen have guns. It's just, that's just what a good reputation will do for you. You know, his, his <laughs> rep travels far and wide and that's all he needs to assert himself. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, this is another, it's like the ultimate callback. It's like Chekhov's guy in the alley (laughs) first one in the movie and he ends up becoming super pivotal here at the end they're kind of like really good people just doing really bad things like they're you know buying and selling people and they are robbing toy stores but they're all sort of kind and sort of scared and not very intimidating or threatening when it comes down to it just a weird sort of amalgamation of characteristics i think yeah everybody except for that guy at the end oh fat jack fat jack yeah where he was straight up just about to, like, rape Tara. <laughs> I like how she's just, like, sitting in bed in her underwear being like, hey, I wonder when you were going to get here. Like, not realizing the danger that she's been in this entire time. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, we see her getting carried out, like, by the arms. Like, she's kicking. Like, early on in the movie, when Keanu first sets out to look for her, he basically, of course, walks by the building where she is, and she gets carried out by a couple gangsters, and she's, like, really, like, let go of me, let go of me. She's, like, kicking and punching or whatever. And so you can see there that she's, like, putting up a fight, but you're right. Like, by the end of the movie, she just sort of come to accept, like, this is her new way of life, even though she doesn't realize that that is going to involve her rape by this guy who just spent three grand on her or whatever. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. The only way that I could make sense in my head was, I figured she must have thought she was being kidnapped to be ransomed and she knew like her father would pay money to get her back or whatever. So like she figured she was safe 
but just being kidnapped and captured. And that's like, she's just kind of taken around town in the trunk of a car the entire movie. So she doesn't hear any of the scenes where she's being sold or traded to somebody else. So she doesn't really understand the danger that she's in. I guess she just figures, uh, I guess they're going to try to get money out of this. The only other way that I could sort of see, well, there's, there's two things. The first thing is that, you know, we said that she's like, on the bed, like in underwear at the end. I mean, Fat Jack did give her clothes. She's just not wearing them because tube tops are out of style <laughs> and the skirt is vinyl. And so she, it's, it's just, you know, there's clothes to wear, but she just doesn't want to wear them. So that's one thing. But the other thing that I can sort of see, like, why she might not be scared is I get the sense, you know, as we follow her trail from one pimp to another to whatever, to all these different traders, we don't see it on screen, but I get the impression that she basically has been running her mouth and like, you know, my dad's a chief of police. Like when he finds out about this, like you're all going to get arrested and then they just sell her and she becomes somebody else's problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe in that regard, she doesn't really realize the, the gravity of the situation. And so she just thinks, oh, I can just talk my way out of anything and doesn't realize that she's two minutes away from being that Jack's plaything. Yeah, and shipped off to Morocco. It's just like she's got like this weird confidence. And yeah, I think you're right in the sense that maybe the ransoming and, and things like that probably crossed her mind. You know, much like us, I don't think human trafficking ever came into her head. I do like the road to Tito, if that's what we want to call it, the road to sort of finding Lori Lachlan, where all the money that he got for selling her, he's now buying shirts and pants and stuff. He's buying a shirt for $100. He's not even buying a shirt. He's like trading a shirt and $100 for another shirt or a jacket and like trading $200 for pants. And it's just like, oh, okay. And then, you know, he finds the gun, which he sort of, I guess, shouldn't assume is a real gun, but it works. It's as effective as a real gun that he gets for 20 bucks. I mean, like compared to pants, that gun's a real bargain. That's a gun lighter, too. And those used to just be around. You could just buy that kind of stuff. <laughs> There's another movie, uh, Inner Space, has a gun lighter in it as well. I remember just seeing these a bunch. They were a big gimmick back in the 80s and 90s for some reason. And it's a good thing a guy is selling a whole bunch of them right outside the hotel. Like <laughs> Keanu needs one really bad. <laughs> I'm just like looking through my notes, and one thing that I have here that I love, like the way that like, you know Lori Lachlan sort of realizes the the full depth of the trouble that she's in is when Rhonda, I think it's Rhonda, shows up like that. You know, they took care of Fat Jack already, and they're trying to break her out. Like she's been handcuffed to the bed, and Keanu just says. I told you I sold her by mistake. And like, he's just like this guy, you know, he didn't like, none of this is a real, like it's all his fault, but like, it's not really his fault. Like he didn't mean to do this. It's just his way that because Keanu is Keanu, they're now in this mess. But I just love that line. Like, you know, I sold her by mistake. Like I didn't mean to sell her to a pimp. It's just something that just sort of happened. Uh, Tara, um, there's, uh, something I have to explain to you. What in the I told you you could do it. Explain what? Um, about the kidnapping. You know, I don't want to say nothing, but a tube top really doesn't look all that good with a bra. Believe me, I know what looks good with what. I practically live at the Galleria. Yeah, well, listen, all I'm trying to say is this. If you're going to work the streets... She's no hooker, Rhonda. I told you, I sold her by mistake. You sold me to a pimp named Tito for $1,500? You're going to tell your dad. Yes! Your ass is grass buster and daddy is the lawnmower. I want to know what drug he was on because not only did it look like a lot of fun, made him extremely confident, but then... It wore off in, what, two hours? An hour? Because the moment he's thrown out of the bar, isn't that kind of where the movie picks up? I honestly don't know, because like, he wakes up in the alley, right? And he's passed out. And we don't really know necessarily how long it's been, but we know that the end of the day is basically 9 or 10 a.m., right? Like when the dad's picking them up from Lisa's house in the morning. So you figure it wore off in no more than like four or five hours, maybe? I think intentionally so. Time is very confusing and muddled in this movie. Yeah. He does have amnesia for a while, too. You know, So that is kind of a side effect of the drug. It's a bit of the hangover. And he's on the drug, and then he gets his head smashed into a garbage can, too, and knocked out. So there's a couple things going on when he wakes up to sort of be this confused state that he's in. 
one thing I really liked about the uh, the Fat Jack scene with how they sort of take care of him is that door fight that he has with Keanu. Mm-hmm. Keanu's locked himself in the bathroom to figure out what to do, and Fat Jack's in the other room, kind of punching through the door, trying to grab at him, and then Keanu just jumps through the door and it flattens Fat Jack on the floor, and you just hear him fall through multiple flights of, of <laughs> floors. Like they definitely killed that guy. <laughs> Yeah, he's like he's like the blood, like the alien's blood in Alien. Just like it just goes through everything that it touches. Like he's just gonna fall and fall and fall until there's just nothing left to fall through. The latter half of the movie was pretty funny. There were a lot of really good gags. Yeah, because um, yeah, that's total slapstick. The that's wily e. coyote type stuff. Having the fat guy fall through multiple floors of a building is. I think the movie needed a lot more of that up front. You know, it has the spirit is shining through here at the end when it's getting more to be daytime. It seems like the tone is getting lighter. It's unfortunate that they couldn't have more fun earlier. Yeah, because like the first 20 minutes of the movie was just pure panic and drama. And it didn't help that the really strangely intense music that's behind like all the scenes. It, It was like you were watching a thriller in the beginning of the movie. The comment didn't really happen until like halfway through, so it could have definitely needed something else in the beginning to kind of alleviate the stress that the, the viewer is sharing with Keanu. I don't know, maybe it's because I watched it like in a couple of parts just because some behind the scenes Keanu Club, the scheduling for this episode got a little weird, so like I, I sort of stopped it because I was I got busy or whatever. Anyway, I sort of watched it in a couple of parts and like it's almost like three different movies. Like it's sort of like a mystery and then sort of like almost like a drug fueled movie and then it sort of becomes like a comedy like it's it's weird how it's like all these different genres and i think it would be a better movie if it's stuck to one and i think what it really wants to be in the end is a comedy but i don't think you know it doesn't really get funny until like an hour in like there's some parts there's some funny parts in the first hour but like it's not like consistently funny until an hour in when he's trading his money for clothes and he's you know actually out trying to really do his best to find her yeah it makes you wonder if maybe the movie started off as something else or maybe yeah. maybe they they took a, a spec script or you know some kind of thriller or drama and just kind of tacked on some jokes because yeah, you're right it, it, it does feel like a completely different movie by the end yeah i was gonna say the same thing actually it feels like if you had these leads were 10 years older or something and you know you, you went straight drama with this movie like yeah you could pull that up I think what's worth talking about is that so Keanu finally gets Lori Loughlin back and she's sort of carrying around this bedpost, right? And they get to this alley and they're driving around and there's like this, there's kind of big chasing. Like after they have this final confrontation between them and Tito and then the car shows up because the guy who stole it from Keanu was going to sell it to Tito and Keanu gets the car back. There's kind of this like great chase scene that goes through the sewers and like, you know, goes all over town. But what I loved and reminded me of Gone in 60 Seconds, I think, is that there's that scene where, like, the chickens get knocked over in the road and just, like, Tito drives through the chickens and the feathers just, like, explode. Like, didn't that happen in the chase in Gone in 60 Seconds? Like, there's just, like, I just remember feathers flying everywhere. I think so. I mean, that, to me, was another example of, like, the Looney Tunes cartoony over-the-top stuff. You know, I almost expected him to be driving through a plate glass window and, like, all that kind of crazy (laughs) things. But it's definitely an exciting chase. It's well shot. I like when they go into the sewer and the top of the bad guy's car gets shaved off and everything. I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's this sort of act of bravery, this act of heroism, and Keanu putting the pedals of the metal and escaping Tito that wins over Tara, you know, Lori Lachlan's heart. And she says to him, you risked your life for me, Winston. Nobody's ever risked their life for me before. Then they almost kiss, but they're like, oh, wait, I'm still handcuffed to this bedpost. And my dad is literally on his way right now to pick me up. And he's a cop. He's trained to notice this sort of thing. So I like that we, we get this like big action scene and then sort of the hero gets the girl in the end. And then they don't forget that they're in a comedy. Like, oh, we still have funny things. Like, we still have resolutions to take place. Like, we need to, like, sort of, like, resolve these issues that we put these characters in. Yeah, and then when she's talking to her friend and they're all safe at home and they're just trying to saw off those handcuffs, like, not once are they like, we need to go to the police. We, we need to get these people that tried to kill us and are selling <laughs> women to Morocco uh, arrested. It's just like, oh, yeah, and then they drove through the sewer and then the... Oh, yeah, then the fat Jack tried to rape me, and 
it's so weird how they talk about it nonchalantly at the end. And it, yeah, it is a comedy, but it just it's such a stark difference between the beginning of the movie where like you, there's just a sense of dread. And then by the end, she was never in a sense of danger the entire time. What I want to envision or, you know, talk about or think about is the future, like the, the, the short term future that like basically the movie ends with them dating sort of right that, you know, he won her heart. Mm-hmm. She's now with him. But like they still live in a city where Tito lives. You know what I mean? Like it's not like the bad guys have been vanquished. Like they're still in theory chasing after them. I mean, they know that they live in the valley. Not that they're not that Los Angeles is like this small city, but like it seems like you know it's happily ever after. But they're still like serious bad guys looking for essentially their product, right? Like Lori Lachlan sort of in some weird sense belongs to them, right? Like he paid for her. They want their stuff. Yeah, I like how Keanu essentially made $1,500 and got his product back at the end of the movie. But really, you have to think about how much he actually... He gave $100 to the driver. He gave $100 for the jacket. He gave 200 for the pants. I feel like he gave people money for information. Mm-hmm. I guess if he, made, if he made any kind of a profit, it's sort of, it's sort of a, a win in the end, especially considering the internal growth that he went through as a person. <laughs> and which is priceless. Yeah, I love how they're at Lisa's house and she just doesn't understand what has been going on. And like the whole world has been turned upside down for her now. She's like, why are you changing in front of this guy? What is going on? Who's Fat Jack? And she's like, "Uh." yeah, and then just like blowing it off. They're like, "Uh, it's better if you kind of don't know basically what happened. Yeah, Yeah. hopefully the fact that her father's chief of police will keep Tito out of any future problems with them. Because, yeah, Tito should be afraid too, you know? For all we know, he's afraid that they're going to go back to her father and uh, he and all his criminal buddies leave town because they're afraid they're going to get uh, pegged. I like the way it ends more than them opening the front door of Lisa's house and getting ready to kiss and then seeing Tito and his posse show up from the big city, you know, ready to reclaim what's there. (laughs) I think, you know, that's a different movie. And yeah, we just have to get out of this movie. We just have to hurry up and end it at this point, I think. But uh, I do like Keanu's speech here to the dad at the end. And he's talking about how, you know, your daughter's a pain in the ass. And he's like, yeah, you're basically right. And she's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) But he's like, yeah, you know, uh, I can handle it. And she's like, oh, yeah. And like, that's all it really takes for her. Like, oh, like, you think you can handle me? Like, I'm going to show that you can't handle me by, like, dating you. I wanted to tell her that even though she's a pain in the ass. What? Hey, Mr. Mitchell, come on. Don't tell me this is news to you. Well, no. No, it's not. But even though she is, you know, a pain and apparently doesn't seem to care who knows it, I still wouldn't want her to change much. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I can handle it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like, I guess that sort of goes back to her, like, in a weird way, goes back to her kind of gambling problem, right? Like, you know, oh, I'm going to win this bet. Like, I'm going to, like, you can't handle me. Like, I'm going to prove that by, like, let's just get married. It's, <laughs> it's like that Mr. Show sketch yeah. where, like, they just keep daring each other. And they just, <laughs> just like, you know, how far is she going to take this? One thing that I have about the movie, I don't know if you guys read this, but apparently Dylan McDermott auditioned for the role that Keanu played. So I can't really see this as him. I don't know. I'm not really familiar with him as a younger actor. I know him sort of now for all these TV shows that are on for one season. Either he either leaves or the show gets canceled or whatever. But like, I can't imagine anybody else really in this role aside from Keanu, at least the way that he portrays. Like, I think he just sort of owns this role. Yeah, I can only think about maybe Liam Neeson doing it because this is kind of like the teenage version of Taken. It's it's strange that this movie got made in the first place. Like, I I think there's fun moments I like, but yeah, it doesn't work as a comedy whatsoever. The themes batting around in this thing are way too dark and serious to, to make light of. I was trolling around the message boards for a little while in preparation, and a lot of people uh, that write remember loving this movie and thinking it was hilarious. And I think it's because you only really remember the bright, funny parts at the end, and the first 20 minutes, half hour just drags. Yeah, it's like it's like weird and gritty and dark in a way that only 80s movies can sort of get away with. Or not that, like, not that they can only get away with it, but like that's sort of most commonly seen in the 80s movies. But it's also sort of that surfer bro, stupid kind of comedy that also makes sense in the 80s. The, the comedy is more memorable. But like it's sort of these two very different movies, at least two different movies, sort of blended into one. And, you know, 
I guess whatever you're watching for or whatever movie you hoped it would be is sort of what it's going to stand out in your memory. I'm, I'm sure I don't I don't know how I'm going to remember this movie in like six months or a year. I don't know if I'm going to remember like the weirdness. I don't know if I remember like the, the darkness or the comedy or none of it. Who knows? Well, I'll tell you, rewatching it again for the first time since I was like, I don't know, 10. The things that I remembered the most was basically Keanu is lost in the city. The guy who steals his car keeps coming back over and over throughout the movie. I remember that. And then I remember basically Lori Loughlin in her underwear because I was a little kid. You know, like those are the major things that stuck out to me. So coming back this time, it was almost a blank slate and just waiting to see when those memories popped up throughout this viewing. Like looking back in a month, I'll probably remember it fondly because of like the really goofy parts and, you know, a couple actors popping up that I recognized. But I'll always remember being weird it, it, it was a weird movie <laughs> you're right it, it was a it was a gritty bill and ted bogus sex slavery adventure nice alternate title <laughs> so eric aside from leaving us with the fact that you know it's a weird movie that you don't know how to think about are there anything else about the movie any last thoughts or anything in your notes that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about that was pretty much it mike anything else sticking out in your notes that we didn't get um, to um there's sort of a bit of a george clinton connection George Clinton produced one of the Red Hot Chili Peppers albums, Freaky Style, and Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers will show up in Point Break. Cool. Well, Eric, thank you very much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. And we really appreciated your insights onto this weird, weird, weird movie. Yeah. I, you know what? At the end of the day, I definitely enjoyed the uh, what 80 minutes that it was. Do you think you'll ever watch it again? You know what? If I see it on TV, I'll probably stop and watch it for a bit, but I'll probably never rent <laughs> it again. That's fair. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to put this DVD back in, but if I see it on TV, I'll be like, oh, hey, it's a Keanu movie. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us, and we appreciate your company. Thanks for having me, and I uh, hope to do it again in the future. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can see the episodes we've done. You can see what's coming up next. All things Keanu Reeves at cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. That was Eric Anderson, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Yeah.